You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and we want to welcome you to episode 32, which happens to be our second jukebox episode. And for those of you keeping score at home, don't know who that is, but if you are, you'll remember that Abigail's uncle Todd was the first jukebox entrant who picked the Pretenders album, and he was tasked with drawing the next jukebox participant. And so that day... He randomly chose a good friend of mine from the California coast, Jeff Jaffo Shetler, who I've known for probably 20 years at this point, who submitted the album Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. There's going to be a lot of Pink Floyd stories because he's a huge Pink Floyd fan the way I'm a huge Beatles fan. I'm anxious to find out why he chose this particular album. And on top of all of that, he was kind enough to send us craft beer from his favorite craft brewery in Carpinteria, California. Not too far from where he lives on the California coast. Jeff, thanks so much for jumping on. Thanks for sending all the beer. Thanks for submitting the album. We're so delighted to see you. I can't tell you. It's been years since I've seen you face to face. It is wonderful to be here. I'm glad your brother-in-law, Abigail's uncle, chose me. (laughs) Gotta say, I love that Pretenders album he picked. So hopefully I can do right by this. Well, you'll have an opportunity at the end as all of our jukebox guests to choose the next entrant. So I hope you're prepared for that. I sent you a bunch of notes on how we might do that. (laughs) I chose an appropriate one. He told me he told you that Dungeons and Dragons dice were an option, which I found very funny. And that's exactly where I went. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there'll be some stories about why that's appropriate later. So (laughs) if there's one thing we love, it's analyzing. Because it allows us to talk for long stretches. Hear our own voices. Exactly. <laughs> and Abigail, I regret to inform you, we've got a third one of those on with us today. So be prepared. I know. I'm sure I'll be bumped. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the two of you will be just chatting it up and I'll just be bumped. <laughs> no, I doubt. I'll that. tell you what, I, I went out after, you know, since I've seen you last. Well, no, we went out to sushi that one night. So I may have told you. When, when you guys were doing the marathon. That's right. That's the last time I saw you, right? It was twi- I think it was 2016. Yeah. We were driving down the coast. Yeah, but since the 15 years ago or whatever it was, it was uh, that I had seen you, I went out and got a master's in history and historians love to talk. You're going to expect that from me. <laughs> yeah, based on the stories we're going to tell about the job we did together, Abigail, the fact that he's now teaching history or has a master's in history. I guess you work with special needs kids, right? I work with moderate, severe special needs students at Pacifica High School in Oxnard. And I love it. I love my job. I think the superintendent hates me because I come to the school board meetings everywhere. Every <laughs> time and say, you know what? We could really use this in, in special ed. I've, I'm trying to make us not be the redheaded stepchild anymore. Yeah. Good for you. What's your favorite period in history? My degree. So when I I did uh, comprehensive exams, I did write a thesis. And my comprehensive exams were on modern U.S. and modern European political history, which I love. Your dad will tell you I can sit and talk politics for days, really. So don't get me started on Florida. Oh, we won't. (laughs) This is not a political podcast, famously. We talk about beer and music until we don't. And nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) But I love I love all periods of history because all periods of history teach us and inform us and help us see once we start to see the patterns of history should help guide us to where we're going. If you want to learn, at least. Exactly. Some people don't want to learn. That's all I'll say about that. Many <laughs> people in this country should be looking at 1930s European history right now and trying to figure <laughs> out, trying to resolve that in their mind. But yeah, I've always said history doesn't repeat, but it definitely echoes. And we're, we're definitely seeing some. 
on my books. Right? Yes, for sure. By the way, I must confess, you submitted about seven albums, I think, and a different brewery for every album. So you specifically sent the brewery you selected for this album, which I thought was so cool because you could have gone anywhere, but you actually made the drive up to Carpinteria to do this for us. Why this one? What, what about this makes it one of your favorite places? They opened about eight years ago and they're just a tiny little spot. They've grown a little bit since then, but it's just a tiny little spot off the beaten path back in an industrial area and they started to get big, but just tiny batch beers. They were doing about 55 gallons. I was talking to Peter, who's one of the brewer's owners when I went up for this beer and he was saying they were getting about a keg and a half out of their brews back then. Oh, wow. What I really loved about that was I would go into this place and find something I absolutely loved. And as with so many people, I can be a creature of habit. You know, when I go to a brewery, I'll get the same thing over and over and over again. But this spot has made me step outside of my comfort zone so many times because I go back and that thing that I loved is gone and it may never come back because they're just going on to the next thing they want to do, which is just wonderful. But they started to grow. They're no longer doing just the 55 gallons. They've gotten some bigger tanks. So they're doing about 10 times that now. So they get about 15 kegs out of a brew now is what it sounded like. So considerably more, they're expanding a little bit, which on one hand is great. But on the other hand, they don't get rid of the beer as quickly. So right. Everything I've had from them is good. I can't say I've really loved everything because we all have our own uh, styles. I'm not a big sour fan. Barry, I know you can't smell sour. So. <laughs> Famously. Dad can't smell a sour. And why is that, Dad? Get it out of the way early, guys. Get it out of the way early. <laughs> I, you know, I, I wanted to be the first to throw out the ball. I was reading the website on the brewery, you know, in preparation for this, and that line that they have under the paragraph they call eclectic when they're talking about who they are. And they go, we don't have any flagship beers. We rarely repeat recipes, and we're not afraid to break the boundaries of the industry's norm. And I love craft beer places that do that. I'm constantly trying to find new stuff. So I go back to a lot of the craft breweries here locally because they do make other stuff. If I knew there was only going to be five things on a menu, I might not go to that place as often. And we will also go into dive bars like the Salty Dog and you'll ask for a grasshopper. So. That's right. I've done that. I'm sorry to admit that. Uh-oh. Was I supposed to know that? <laughs> In my defense, I can't smell a grasshopper. Jaffa, was there a particular reason why you chose the two cans that you sent us? I went up there about three weeks ago and Peter was bartending that night, which was nice. Nobody was up in there when I sat down. So I told him about the podcast, told him what we were doing. He was really excited about it. Thought it was really cool. You guys would like this place for the music because they play all sorts of eclectic music. In fact, there was a Barry, did I send you the photo of the notes page? Yes, you did. At the bottom of that, there was music to go with this beer, actually. Oh, wow. A band called Skin Shake. So cool. something that might be worth listening to. He knew we were doing Wish You Were Here, but he's, he said, yeah, this is one of my favorite bands right now. Was there a particular track or he just gave you the band name? He just gave me the band. He put it on while I was in there and it was really good. Abigail, why don't you uh, pull up your Spotify, find the band. We can play it as background maybe a little bit when we're opening this beer up, this first beer. That's a great idea. idea. So talking to Peter about the show and what we're doing and and how that was going, I asked him, give me four beers you guys are doing right now that would be representative of what you think is really good. And I said, I want one IPA because Barry, I know you like IPAs. I want one with some funk because Abigail likes funk and then two more of whatever's going on right now. So these were all picked by Peter 
who's one of the brewers. He actually donated a third of the beer today. Wow. What? Yeah. He, oh he my was gosh. bringing it up. He's like, how about I do, you know, these three and one of the zombie juices. So, Thank yeah. you very much, Peter from Brew Lab. We appreciate your donation. Yes. We will not let it influence our reviews of your beer, though. No one is safe. This is Pops on Hops, where, where no, no one, one is one safe. safe. <laughs> I did warn him of that. I said, we're going to be honest. And he said, I would expect you to be, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> Look out, Brew Lab. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm on Untap now. There's a, it looks like you checked in at some point a green tea IPA. Is that the one we're looking at? Yeah, that would have been the night. Okay, so that's the one. Okay. Yeah. And I don't remember what I rated it at. Don't tell me because I'm not going to tell I you. I had been drinking when I rated it that night. So let's see, <laughs> let's see how it is in the middle of the day, sober and first beer of the night. The first thing I noticed when I opened the packaging was how gorgeous their can design is. Both of the cans you sent us have really interesting and beautiful can design. Yeah, I thought so too, Abigail. I agree. This green tea one has some art inspired by, looks like Japanese kanji. And then the other one has some kind of botanical looking art with some moths on it. It's just very, very cool looking. So excited to crack into these. Nice. Should I put on a little skin shape? <laughs> yeah, put a little skin shape on and I'll, uh, I'll read a little bit about the green tea. Just so everybody knows, this one is brewed with honey and infused with green tea and lemon verbena. And I noticed on the website, Jaffa, that they use a lot of locally sourced ingredients, I guess, given that they're close to a big ag section there in Oxnard and Ventura County. Yeah. Is that part of their philosophy too, do you know? It kind of implies that on the website that it's local, but it doesn't say it. Yeah, the way I understand it is they try to source everything they can locally. As you know, Ventura, Santa Barbara, if you're going to eat locally, this is probably the best place in the world to do it because you get almost everything within a maybe 200 mile radius. Well, I have to say, much as the word double gives me pause in reference to beer, the word session is something I like to see. <laughs> so I am excited for this one. Are you ready for a sip, Dad? I am ready. I have put it into a glass so I can look at it. It's not crystal clear. It's on the clearish side. It's a nice golden color. Cheers. Cheers to that. Wow. Mm. That is a good one. That is really good. It's got that funk. The longer it sits there, the, the more toward the funky side it goes, huh? Yeah, it's got a little bit of that funk to it, but it's not overpowering. No, definitely not. When something is a little overpowering, I'm not as big on it, but this one I really enjoy. It really does go IPA. I mean, it does have a little hoppy kind of aftertaste that lingers. It's got, that's very yes. complex because at the front, you taste very subtle sweetness at the front, probably from the honey, right? Yeah, I was going to say that. Then it goes into the funky part. And then it ends with a little long-lasting hoppy taste. Man, that's, that's like having three distinct beers in a row. That's really good. And a lot of the beers they do, they're really interesting because they do go through so many flavor profiles and you're, you're getting those on all the parts of the palate. As we sit here and let this warm up a little bit, it's going to go through some flavor profiles too, which for me, usually when I get a beer that is really cold, it's never as good as when it gets up to, depending on what room temperature is. Right. But, but room each temperature. Right. Down here, it's practically boiling if it gets to room temperature, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's cool that this goes through a real procession in flavor profile. I would expect nothing less of a brewery called Brew Lab. I would assume that they're doing some kind of experimental stuff with beer, and this is very unique, in my opinion. I agree. I do get the subtle sweetness from the honey. Yeah. I can't really identify a tea flavor. It's more just kind of a grassy green flavor, in my opinion. That may be why they're, you're getting the funk, right? That, it, like a yeah. lot of times when we say funk. Yeah, it tastes a little bit like dirt. Earthy. <laughs> in a good way. And wine, we call that poopy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm a fan of that. I like root vegetables. Like, I kind of like that earthy, dirty flavor. Before we get into that, how about we find out about your origin story with Pink Floyd? Because I've known forever that you're a huge Pink Floyd fan. So I'm so glad that the first album they got of the ones you submitted was a Pink Floyd album. I, I think it would have been a disservice not to do the Pink Floyd album first. But I don't know how you really came to that. I just knew you as a Pink Floyd fan. And so I'm kind of interested in how you discovered that band in your youth and how you came to be such a huge fan. Kind of all my life. I've been 20 years behind the curve on, on music. So growing up in the 80s, I loved the music of the 60s for the most part. Big Beatles fan, loved Dylan, love all the stuff that came out of there. And Pink Floyd kind of straddled that 60s and 70s era. They hit, really hit a big in 72 with Dark Side of the Moon, but you can go all the way back to Piper's at the Edge of Dawn with Sid Barrett and I just love that psychedelic sound and then the idea of the concept album which really uh, the who had tommy before dark side came out as a concept album but dark side was the first real popular concept album although you can take tracks out of that taken as a whole album is so much more on dark side of the moon so that really got me into pink floyd all my friends were listening to floyd and, and it really struck me this particular album, which isn't the most popular Floyd album, which you were here, it's grown in popularity over the years. This is the album that came after. So Dark Side of the Moon is the, I believe it's the fifth best-selling album of all time. Wow. And it holds the record for most weeks on Billboard's Top 200 with almost a thousand weeks. Amazing album taken as a whole. And this came after. And going back through Floyd albums, Floyd albums always have a theme to them. So Dark Side of the moon was life growing up making money getting old dying that's kind of the theme of that whole album now they're going into uh, wish you were here which is really their whole journey of coming up as a rock and roll band from losing the founder sid barrett because he was only on the first two albums to getting big record contracts to having friends pass on and i love i've always loved the idea of the concept album they're amazing abigail and your uncle was on you guys kind of talked a little bit about how your generation now consumes music because it's very different than me and your dad consume music. We'd actually go to the record store, buy a whole album, and we'd pull out the liner notes and learn all the words and all that. Now it's just pick the song you like. And a lot of the really good songs fall by the wayside, I think, because of that. And you also miss the whole journey of going through a whole 40 minute, or in Floyd's case, you go to the wall, which is a double album and almost a two hour experience. And it tells a whole story. So for people like me and Barry, who are storytellers and who love to hear stories. <laughs> 
that whole idea of a concept album is brilliant. Now, when we get into why I picked this one, with most music, especially Floyd, though, because it does tell a story, it's kind of what mood am I in? Mm -hmm. Where am I at? Do I have some of that angst that you get out of the wall? Or do I have some of that, wow, what's life like that you get out of dark side? Or am I thinking about good friends that aren't around? And as I recall, when I put this on, you know, it's in one of those good friends moods. It was right after one of Barry Warr, mutual friend, uh, had passed away. Right. And so Wish You Were Here just seemed very apropos. I'm, I'm sure I was well into my cups by the time I had put this on, but it really fits. And often my life has fit the mood I'm in. For most of us who love music, we tend to choose music dependent on that mood. You know, it's interesting. I did not have a lot of familiarity with this as an album. I knew a couple of things that got a lot of radio airplay. It's an oddly structured album, right? It's mm -hmm. five tracks only with the first track and the last track being gigantic 13 plus minute bookends. Right. And then what basically you would say, oh, there's the three singles. They weren't singles, but I'm just saying it was three standard format songs. And then this instrumental piece that bookends it, which if I read correctly, was supposed to actually be one giant side on an album. Right. And because of the imbalance in the amount of it, I, I don't think they could fit those two tracks on one side because the other three tracks are only 15 minutes long. Right. It didn't line up right. So they ended up doing a really interesting thing, which is kind of bookend it with the two tracks that are named the same and have parts one through five as the first one and parts six through nine as the second one. Like I said, I didn't have a lot of familiarity with the album. My recollection of it was, and this is solely based on the tracks you would hear on the radio, was that it was a very anti-big business, not music industry specifically, Jaffa, but anti-big business album. The songs are really pro-worker and anti-middle management. Well, welcome to the machine. Is the, welcome is to the machine. On right. the nose. <laughs> have a cigar, right? Those kinds of things. And if you know anything about Roger Waters, that's definitely where his leanings lie. Correct. But I didn't realize that it was so specific to the music industry until I went through this exercise of playing the album with frequency and reading the lyrics and realizing that it was music industry specific. And then when you couple that with the loss of Sid Barrett and how much the loss of Sid Barrett as a bandmate, right. he had mental health problems and he was still alive and in fact around for part of the recording of this, if I'm remembering correctly. But the toll that the business put on him to a certain degree, he probably wasn't there when it got to be really problematic. Can you imagine coming out of Dark Side of the Moon and having a, what's your follow up? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're going to have a conversation about how we met each other. It's because how do you follow up Titanic? Yes. You spin around for five years or six years trying to decide how the heck you're going to follow that up. And in a lot of ways, the reason you and I met was because there wasn't an easy answer to that. Right. And that was exactly this. It was like, what's the answer to an album that's as exciting as, or as dynamic or as iconic as Dark Side of the Moon? My buddy, Steve Moore, who we talk about all the time on the show, who you may have met, Joff, I can't even remember. Uh, Steve is the guy who I've known since high school, who is an animator in Los Angeles. And he used to do his own Christmas cards, which I adopted myself. And I always was like, oh man, every year I'm trying to do something better than the last one. He goes, no, that's not <laughs> how you think of it. You do something different than the last one. And that was the greatest piece of advice he'd ever given me. And I feel like this was kind of in that mold. This album is different than Dark Side of the Moon and then Animals and and then, you know, the wall, they're all different in their own right. And as a collection, as a body of music, that stretch of albums in the 70s holds up to this day. I mean, it's it's a pretty amazing collection of music. And if you think about it, they, they probably had a problem there that maybe even the Beatles never had. This album is coming out two years after Dark Side. Dark Side's still in the top 10. Yes. And now they're releasing <laughs> wow. another album. It's like, okay, how do we top that? 
In fact, I saw Roger Waters do the wall six or seven years ago. Oh, wow. You on, saw that tour? Yeah. yeah down at the Oh, bond. wow. That's awesome. Best show I've ever seen. The man knows how to put on a show and it's an album I love. But at one point in the show, he's talking about, if you know anything about the wall, the wall really is Roger Waters' life for how he saw his life. And he talks about, I, I was a bit of an asshole back then. Uh, 40 years of therapy has helped me out. But, but, you know, me being an asshole got you guys a lot of great music. <laughs> which is not an excuse but no but but and by the way java have you heard this song that is uh, listed as a pink floyd single hey hey rise up yeah the new young one for ukraine i thought that was very interesting it definitely sounds like pink floyd playing the music and the fact that they lifted that vocal from the right he was a musician who left his band to go fight in the war and he did an acapella version of that 1914 song and they got permission to use that vocal and wrote around it and it's really interesting and fun it's a really cool song and all the money from that yeah. obviously goes towards that effort it's a fundraiser for ukraine and i thought it was very interesting for them to like that was the thing that got them all to say yep i guess we can work together again it was only really only two guys left I, think. I don't think roger waters was on that no 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 it wasn't three core members of what we would think of pink floyd after roger waters left but no, Roger Waters was not involved in that. But I found that super interesting, that song. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can hear that. And of course, paying for it. We'll donate money toward the Ukraine war effort. We're kind of doing this out of order, but before we get into the track by track, Jaffa, I feel like we owe everybody an origin story. We've alluded to some things. I think the crucial comment was, how do you follow up the Titanic? <laughs> I think everyone's going to be like, what? the hell does that mean how does that play into their origin story i buried the lead what wait what yeah i would say um, so here's what it is abigail your dad found room for me on that piece of wood <laughs> <laughs> as any sane person would have <laughs> Joffo and I were both asked to participate in a project independently we came to it separately Jaffa, why don't you start? Because you were asked first. Your okay. story is probably a little more direct route. Uh, how you ended up on, we'll just call it the boat. <laughs> this, this may take a minute then. And, well, uh, take a minute. I may cut you off halfway to rate a beer. That's all good. But in high school, I had a group of friends and, and one of them was a buddy, Dave. And Dave had a brother who was, uh, even then, was a big time movie producer, director, writer. Dave was somebody who I met him. We became friends, interestingly enough, by working at McDonald's. Dave went off to the Marines. He'd come back every once in a while and we'd all hang out as a group and drink too much and do what you do at 19 and 20. The D&D tie-in being Dave was a huge D&D player. And so oh. were all my <laughs> other friends, which got me into D&D back in high school and outside of high school. And he came back and actually him and my friends were writing their own role-playing game similar to D&D and a lot of our friends are still doing that actually they've, they've taken on that mantle so we'd hang out and do things and then I go away because I became a scuba instructor so I go work at Club Med I come back then I go work on a cruise ship and come back <laughs> I moved to New Zealand when I moved to New Zealand I'd worked on a cruise ship in 94-95 my bartender on the cruise ship became my daughter's mother I moved to New Zealand 
with her and we got married. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. So I moved back to California, mid 98. I came back to California as working all sorts of jobs I hated, but again, hooked up with the same group of friends, which Dave was one of them. At the same time, I move into a place with Tony Gonzalez. I come home from work one night at the beginning of the summer and Tony's in the backyard barbecuing with a friend of his and they're drinking wine and I don't drink wine at that point. Wine was making me violently ill. I'd have like a little glass of wine. I would get violently ill. Pretty soon a couple of our friends come over and they bring a bottle of wine. So everybody's drinking, everybody's happy. We're, we're sitting around, we're like, it's a Wednesday night. Well, you know, nobody <laughs> does anything on Wednesday night. So we're like, let's do this every Wednesday this summer. We call it Wine Wednesday. And the price of admission is you had to bring a bottle of wine. Oh, nice. <laughs> had to bring a bottle of wine. And we have Wine Wednesday all summer long. And then Dave shows up to a few of them and he, he shows up to one of them. He's like, hey, Jaffo, I got something for you. My brother has this ranch and it's right on the ocean and he wants somebody to go dive off this beach. Uh, and that is when you know you are too rich is when you hire somebody to go do your diving for you. So, <laughs> so the summer of 99, I'm doing Wine Wednesday every Wednesday night. And every weekend, I'm driving up the coast to the ranch and diving and loving it, having a great time. I'm staying in the guest house. Towards the end of the summer, uh, I get out of the water and my buddy Dave's there with his kids and you know they're family to me. So that's it's all good. But his brother who owns the place... And his then girlfriend, now wife, and their kids are coming up. And Dave says, what are you doing for dinner tonight? I said, well, I know you guys are doing the family thing. So uh, I'll just go into town. Dave's like, no, you're staying for dinner. What are you talking about? Your family. So I stay. His brother comes up and, and all the kids. And we're just making spaghetti, basically spaghetti out of a jar. But Dave and I are setting the table and we're putting wine glasses out. Dave pours the wine. And before I can say, hey, I can't drink the wine, Dave has poured me wine. So I'm thinking to myself, I would really like to keep working for this guy. You know, I'm having fun. and uh, <laughs> So I don't want to be rude. If I refuse the wine, that would be rude, right? And then I think, if I drink the wine and I throw up all over the table, that would be <laughs> It's a tough call, Jaffa. Yeah. <laughs> Rocking a hard place there. <laughs> it, it was, but we have dinner and I drink the wine. I am fine with drinking the wine. It doesn't affect me at all. So whatever allergy or whatever I had with wines earlier, I'm over that. Maybe you were just drinking bad wine before, Jaffa. Now you're yeah, getting actually is... <laughs> decent wine. Yeah, drank the wine. I was okay. And I was able to talk about the two things this guy loved right? I was able to talk about diving and I was able to talk about movies because I love movies, right? So I'm talking to him all night. I end up saying something to him because he brings up, he wrote Rambo First Blood Part 2. And I'm like, really? I didn't know you, you wrote that. You know, that was a pretty decent movie, except for that scene where he launches the rocket right into the helicopter. That is so bad. That, that's never going to happen. And he kind of laughs and he says, yeah, I didn't write that scene. That's why they should not let actors write movies because that was all <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's much better than that conversation I had to have one where he did write the scene. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm spoiling. Well, oh, I'm spoiling. We'll, talk about, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that too. If it's the one I think where, where you just you know, know support whatsoever. You know, it is. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. I, I'm glad I, you do because I, I still, I still have beef with you on that. I still tell people that story as how a friend doesn't back you up, but you can still be friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I always tell that story is here's how a friend can throw you under the bus and you can still be friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at that scene from two different sets of glasses, my friend. That was what it was. <laughs> we'll but, get there. But anyway, we're eating spaghetti, we're drinking wine. Then we go back, go over, and he had brought up a couple of bottles of tequila that Guillermo del Toro makes. Oh, casually, yes. Amazing tequila. Some of the best wow. tequila I've ever had. And so we start doing shots the rest of the night and keep talking about boats and diving and, and have a great night. In the meantime, Dave has me looking for a boat for this guy because he's looking for a boat. So he's, Dave's like, find a boat. You you know, you get a commission. That night goes, I go back home. I'm doing my thing. About six weeks later, Dave calls me. He's like, hey, Joffo, Jim bought the boat. I'm excited. I'm like, now I'm going to get a little bit of money. You know, I'll be in a better place. It's like, all right, that's, I love that. And then he drops the other shoe, which is not the boat you were looking at. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I'm just like, oh. But then he says, but he wants you to captain the boat. Apparently, I got along with him very well that night. So he did that. And then I think, okay, I can turn 30 now. So the next day, Dave's like, you're going to come start work, working for me in Malibu, all that. Within a week, I quit the nowhere job and I was, I was working for Dave in Malibu. And he sent me to all these trainings. They actually sent me to captain school in uh, San Diego. Wow. Uh, I didn't have enough experience captaining boats, obviously, at that point. I've been on boats all my life. So we went through a couple of captains on the boat. I was, but I ended up going on the boat, running all the diving off the boat. Dejafo got me all the way up to safety diver. In fact, the day he trained me to be a safety diver, we were down doing, I was rescuing him, I was bringing him to the surface because he had gone limp, you know, <laughs> he's quite the actor. And so I drag him to the surface and the captain of the boat at the time looks out and goes, you guys see that gray whale? I'm like, huh? Goes, that gray whale came right through where you guys were. And so I didn't see it because I was trying to rescue my friend Jaffo and Jaffo didn't see it because he actually closed his eyes and played a part. And so neither one of us saw the gray whale. Oh my God. Dragging him to the surface. That's how I checked out to be a rescue diver. Yeah, so I met Captain Joffo. That's how I met you. You were yeah. designated captain of the boat. And by the way, you keep burying the lead. You've given plenty of hints. You know, I threw Titanic out, which was probably the best hint. You threw out Rambo First Blood Part 2. But I'll give another hint. This should do it. But we're talking about movies and we're doing all that. And something about Terminator comes up and I, I have to, you know, in the original Terminator something has to be covered with organic material to come back in time. My nerd friends would hate me if I didn't ask this question. How in Terminator 2 does the T-1000 come back? Because I, Abigail, I don't know if you watch those movies, but the original Terminator is covered in actual skin and blood and things. So he has organics over a metal skin. The T-1000 is a liquid metal. So he doesn't have any organic mm -hmm. parts and he comes back and Jim is very big on making sure everything is kind of right. And he kind of laughs and, and he says, you know, I knew that when I was making the movie, but the technology was just too cool. I had to use it, <laughs> which I laugh about. I'm, I'm like, all right, that's a fair answer. That's fair. Yeah. But I look at him and this is what Jim is like. He didn't like that answer because it just screwed up the whole universe that he had made and he didn't want that. And he's thinking about it. He's like, but you know, if I was writing the book, I'd explain it as Reese, just a grunt. They don't tell him everything. He didn't know everything that was going on. And he, he goes into this whole explanation, <laughs> which was great, I thought. 
So I'm going to spill the beans. Now you've thrown Terminator into the mix. We've said Jim a bunch of times. Let's just get it on the table and get the last name out there. So our friend, our mutual friend, Dave, is Dave Cameron, who is the younger brother of James Cameron, the director. And as I always tell people, my claim to fame is I got to work with him between Titanic and Avatar. That was my window <laughs> <was my> <laughs> of opportunity. You know, it's like, well, what'd you do? I went, I worked on everything he did between Titanic and Avatar. <laughs> you've heard of none of it. But it was the most amazing four years of my life. So Jaffo's on the boat. He's the captain of what we're calling the Sojourner. And before I tell my half of that story, I think we should rate this first beer and get another beer out. What do you think? Oh, am I throwing everybody off? Yeah, we haven't talked about a single song, but this is good. (laughs) That's all right. We'll get there. We've only been at it an hour. Well, hopefully this means we'll get to try both of Jaffo's homebrews at this rate. So I'm very in favor of switching now. (laughs) Who wants to go first? Abigail, this is one of your categorical faves. Why don't you go first? I don't know if that's legit. I mean, it's an IPA. That's a session. You said you're not opposed to session. I'm not opposed to sessions because they tend to be lower in alcohol content. The flavor tends to be subtler. You know, there's less quote unquote baggage, which is now the phrase we like to use. I'm commissioning a jingle on baggage. (laughs) Oh, are you? I have to get my buddy Pete to work on oh my God. a baggage jingle. Yeah, I have had almost the whole can, which is saying something for an IPA, and this is a tall boy. I think I'm going to give it a 3.75. It's just lightly sweet, has that earthy quality, which I assume comes from the tea. Lightly hoppy at the end, and it lingers a bit, but it's not a bitter hoppiness. It's just the pure hop flavor, which I very much appreciate. So this is a good one, 3.75. Wow. I'm going to go next because I, I want to be able to pull up Jaffo's notes from last time, see if he confirms his vote from the last time he had it through. <laughs> oh, ago. that's fun. So I'm somewhere between a four and a four and a quarter, but I'm going to the four and a quarter because I think this is a really, really, really good beer. Everything you said, Abigail, it's got three layers to it, none of which are overpowering. And it goes through that three phases every time you take a sip on it. I think as it's gotten warmer it's a little more hoppy than it was when it was cold, fresh out of the can. But again, I'm an IPA guy and I don't have any problem with that, but I'll go with what you said. It's not super strong. It's not super bitter. It's a flavor. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I am really enjoying this beer. So I'm going with a four and a quarter and I'll turn it over to Jaffa. I'm right there with you on that, Barry. I'm going with four and a quarter. What did I I put on the- Last time? Yeah. Four and a quarter. Oh, Right there. Nice. What we love on Pops on Hops is when people are internally consistent. Much like James Cameron, you have a high degree <laughs> of continuity. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> That's high praise, Abigail. But I love the balance in this. You're getting a depth of flavor. It's hitting every flavor palette, but it's none of them are overpowering. And they don't compete. They right. all get a turn. Right. It's not all one big mishmash all at the same time. There's a almost like a time release to it. I don't know how to explain yeah. that. Yeah. It has a life cycle, really, each sip. I think balance is a great word. I I agree with you, Jaffo. So that's a super good beer. All right, Abigail, looks like we're moving on to the second. So this is the can I was talking about before that has all the moths on it in kind of a mandala pattern. And I think this is one of the most beautiful can designs I've ever seen. Yeah, I agree with you. It's like a kaleidoscope of moths, I guess is the best way to explain it. Yeah. Right. This one's interesting. It's called a dank and resinous IPA with Chinook, Mosaic, and Cryo Columbus hops. So three hops involved. Dank, which I think that's an Abigail thing. Dank? You know what dank is like a dog whistle for, Dad? I don't know. Do I? Marijuana. (laughs) 
Okay. At least I would expect this to taste and or smell of marijuana. It's called Creatures of Habit. So maybe. Oh, maybe. Habit. A bad habit. (laughs) I can tell you, I'm pretty sure Peter and the rest of them partake in that side of things. I mean, hops can have a similar aroma. Those two plants are incredibly related. Yeah. Which is always interesting. The legalization of plants in the United States, as a tobacco prevention expert, we can have this conversation a thousand (laughs) times about. Right. Anyway, so this is our second Brew Lab selection of the day called Creatures of Habit. Are we all ready? Cheers. The initial sip. Oh my, I'm going to have trouble tonight because that initially I like better than the last one. Wow. That's really good. I'm puzzled because to me, this is very smooth. Smooth is the word. We'll let it warm up, but I don't get a punch in the face of hops. It's very lightly hopped, which again, I appreciate. I did not expect that from the description. No, not with three hops listed. It almost drinks. It's not quite like a Belgian, but the initial impression is in that category. It's smooth like a Belgian would be. It's got a little more bitterness than most Belgians, I think. Right, exactly. You do the smooth and, and a little bit of sweetness in there. That's another one where there's multiple things going on. Yeah. And I think once again, you're getting a lot of flavor, but nothing is overpowering. For a place that does one-offs, in other words, they're going to brew this beer, which is fabulous, right. and they are going to go to the next thing. Right. I mean, we've had two beers that are spectacular beers. They may or may not. They didn't workshop them at all. No, and they may not. Like, (laughs) it's one time they did it. I do think they built on some of the stuff that they have used before, but they're making these subtle changes to them all the time. So you're never getting the same thing. So while we're enjoying this beer, I'm going to get to the same boat Jaffo's on as quote unquote Captain Jaffo. As you may know, Abigail, we moved to Los Angeles so I could have, quote unquote, film career. Right? <laughs> I, le- I left my Sorry. residency. I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> Abigail, from kind of the minute I met your dad, I always referred to him as a substitute doctor. That was oh, me. that's a very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You go fill in. It's kind of funny that I had more of a film career than you did, dad. I, I, shoot. <laughs> let's not go there today we'll get there we're, 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 we're in this part of the story we'll get to that part of the story in a different episode when you have one of your friends submitted an to the jukebox <laughs> so darby abigail's mother and i made this commitment after we finished our residency we we're going to go to los angeles at the encouragement of your uncle steve or steve moore who we mentioned earlier today and mentioned several times in a podcast. Steve knew that I was very unhappy just in the general practice of medicine. And I probably knew it before I even finished doing everything, but you have this amazing degree that you've earned, but I just could not see myself working a day job in medicine. I probably would have gone into academics if not for Steve saying, you should come out here and do this. And mom was to say amenable to it's polite. I mean, she just was like all in. All right, let's go. We have no kids. We have no property. Who cares? Let's go do it. And she got a job with the LA County Health Department. And I went out with zero plan. 1993. (laughs) But I have one connection, which is Steve. And I have a connection above that, which is Steve's friend, Jerry Reese, who's a film director of some notoriety out there, who Ian was on the show, his son. But the plan was to be there for five years. We were going to be there for five years. If things didn't work out, we were going to decide what to do. So the five-year clock is ticking. It's 1999. We, We reset the clock when we bought the house, which we did right after you were born, Abigail, in the fall of 94. So my whole thing when I first moved out was I need to make a certain amount of money in my head. And if I'm not doing this over here, I'm doing locum tenens, which is where I'm making up the money. Explain what locum tenens is. Locum tenens is exactly what Joppo said earlier. I was a substitute physician. I could take a shift at X dollars an hour 
in essence, in order to make the amount I had in my head, I could have 18 weeks, quote unquote, off, which meant I could work 18 weeks on a movie thing if I was making zero. So I take a random networking conference. There's a million of these in LA. Jaffo can attest to this. And I meet a guy named Peter Barnett who had a production company called Nova Pictures. We meet at this networking thing and we hit it off and we're still in touch to this day. You know, he's a producer. He wants to produce films. And his day job when he's not producing these, he works as an accountant on film projects. So I get this card. I think it was a postcard in the mail at some point to attend a premiere for a movie that I would have to look up. I don't know what it is that it had something to do with a country club. It was a golf thing. Tippy Hedren may have been in it. I'll have to look it up. I call the number to RSVP. He picks the phone up. It's Peter himself oh. picking the phone up at Nova <laughs> Pictures. And I'm like, Peter, I want to come to this premiere, but I got to ask you, how is this the first time I'm hearing about this? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, you know, I want to work in movies. I would have come and done anything on your film set. I would have raked the green to come see what this looked like. He goes, next time I will call you. And sure enough, he did. So it's circa 1997. Guy calls me out of the blue. He's like, listen, I'm producing this film. And there's actually going to be some things on here that may or may not be dangerous. Like we're going to light up an acetylene torch. Not technically super <laughs> dangerous, but there's these kinds of scenes. And the Chaffo left because he knows the scene I'm talking about. And I know the people you were working with, too. So <laughs> Is that part of what made it dangerous, Chaffo? Oh, yeah, yeah very much yeah, so. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so he says to me, so I kind of would like to have a set medic if you're interested in that. I go, yeah. He goes, it's not going to pay anything. As I told you moments ago, Abigail. And you like, said, oh, I have 18 weeks then. <laughs> I have 18 weeks banked. I'm, I'm in. He goes, but here's the catch. I go, okay. He goes, we also need somebody to do craft service. <laughs> Because you're there in case somebody gets hurt. You're just going to stand there. So in order to not be bored, would you also do the snack table <laughs> and put out maybe a continental breakfast kind of thing for people? I'm like, I told you when I got in this conversation, I would do whatever you wanted me to do. When do we start? The whole thing was like a six day shoot. That's so funny. Oh, my and gosh. So I'm all in. I know nothing about the film. I know nothing about anything. You know, he sends me some information. It's called the Yellow Badge of Courage. That's the name of it, which is obviously a spoof of the Red Badge of Courage. It's about a guy who's having a mental health collapse and thinks in his mind he's being attacked by a bottle of mustard. So the entire thing is a one-on-one -on -one house battle between a guy and a bottle of mustard. Am I describing it right, Jonathan? Yeah, I think it's important to say that the guy is writing a movie script. That, yeah, that's right. Okay, right. So it was being co-directed by two guys. One was John Kelly, and the other one was John David Cameron. The aforementioned. And I forgot about John Kelly. The only reason I know him is Dave is because on that film set, he had to go by Dave because the other guy was named John. We couldn't yell John and have everybody look at us. So Dave was Dave. So I work on this film, The Yellow Badge of Courage with Dave, who I don't really know is Jim Cameron's brother, but it becomes apparent pretty quickly. In fact, I have to go back and check my notes on this. We were filming this when Titanic won the Golden Globe that year. Like somebody announced that while we were still shooting on the set. So I do this film, Dave and I hit it off. And by the way, I learned more about filmmaking on this. Nobody got hurt. I had no real responsibility. So I went to every department. I was tearing up couches with the special effects crew. I spent time with the electricians. I spent time with the wardrobe people. I just wanted to know stuff. By the way, mm -hmm. Abigail, the sign I have that says no parking film set that's mm -hmm. stapled in the garage wall is from this film. 
I still have the oh, cardboard cool. sign that I took at the end of the shoot to block off the parking. Anyway, I do this film and I get a bunch of jobs off of it. Like I was a working craft service slash medic <laughs> on all kinds of low budget films. Put that on your resume. <laughs> I did. At the end, they were hiring me because I could make a mean hot breakfast. And I was there in case anybody got hurt. But they were more, they were like, I understand you do a mean hot breakfast. And on the side, I have an MD. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm also the medic. So anyway, I do a bunch of these jobs. But the clock's ticking. It's going to be the five-year mark. And we're getting antsy. And you and Zach had both been born. And it's like, should we move somewhere real and start a real life? I kid you not, just before that clock would have ended, in November of 1999, I get a call from Dave. He calls me, he goes, I have a consulting project for you. Will you come meet me for lunch? I'm like, yeah, I'll come meet you for lunch. Drive down to Malibu because all things start in Malibu. Went to Tony's. Yeah, I was going to say all lunches happened at Tony's. <laughs> Tony's in a Greek restaurant in Malibu, California. So we had this lunch and he goes, so Jim bought this property and we think there may be Lyme disease on a property. Will you give me a report on everything you could tell me about Lyme disease in California? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. He goes, how long will it take you? I said, well, give me a week. He goes, all right, I'll meet you here for lunch a week from today. Bring me a report. So I go home, I do a bunch of research on Lyme disease in California. And I write basically what's a little five-page term paper on Lyme disease in California, including the availability of a vaccine. And I go back the next week and I meet him for lunch. And I bring the report for two copies stapled in an envelope. I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to turn in. <laughs> You laugh, Abigail, but Dave was never clear on details. So I just like that you said turn in like it was a school yeah, assignment. Exactly. It was exactly what it was. I bring the report, I go to lunch, and I'm having another expensive lunch at Tony's Taberna on Malibu Beach. And uh, he goes, well, where's the invoice? I go, oh, I left that on my desk. I didn't have an invoice. I didn't know what the guy was talking about. I go, can I mail it to you? Or he goes, no, just, I'll tell you what, bring it down next week. We'll have lunch. <laughs> so I <laughs> I swear to God. Now I'm doing an invoice. I'm like, what am I supposed to charge for a term paper on Lyme disease? You know, I have this moment, this come to Jesus moment where I go, well, I'm a professional like a lawyer. I'm going to charge an hourly rate, whatever I establish. It's not going to be cheap. So I pick some number and I put two and a half hours at whatever the rate was. And I print this invoice up and I drive down for my third consecutive Greek lunch on a Wednesday in Malibu. I will tell you whatever number Barry picked, it was too low. Yeah, I'm sure. He opens the envelope. He looks at it. He puts it in the envelope and that's the end of it. And in my head, I went, I didn't charge enough. <laughs> there was no hiccup. Yeah. So I do this project in November, 1999. And then I don't hear anything for a few weeks. And then Dave calls me out of the blue and he goes, listen, Jim bought a boat. <laughs> it's going to be basically a diving boat. Probably do some marine research. We're thinking of starting a nonprofit to do that. But most important of all, initially, is we want to get safety supplies on it for taking divers out. Is that something you think you can handle? I'm like, no, of course, it's me. I can do that. He goes, well, send me a quote. It's the quote thing again. <laughs> it always throws me off my game. I can do the project. Now I got to figure out what I'm supposed to charge for it. So I did this big quote, meet him for lunch at Tony's, <laughs> bring him the quote, and the rest is history. He hires me on the spot, says, I don't want just one of these kits. I want two. I was doing basically what was a floating urgent care. I called a friend of mine 
Phil Grugio, who we've talked about on a podcast before. He's my Bruce Springsteen entry point, right? Yes. He was working for Noah and I reached out to him and I said, listen, what do you guys carry on a ship? And he sent me an inventory of what they carry. Oh, wow. He said, this is why we do this. You may or may not need this. He sent me this gigantic inventory. And he goes, okay, so the boat's down. Was it in Newport at the time, Jaffo? Yes. In fact, I think it was a Sojourner and I think it was parked right next to the Avenger at the time. Probably the most beautiful boat I've ever stepped foot on. An amazing oh, vessel. The woodwork on that boat was just amazing. It's like 95 foot. But the concept was, <laughs> we're going to dive off this and do marine research. It wasn't designed as a research vessel. We got this safety gear for taking people out. They were billing it to me like they needed. Let's think of it as a medical bay. So they sent me to the boat to look at it and give them some recommendations. And that's where I met Captain Jaffa. We do a walkthrough on the boat. We looked at all the bunk rooms. We go in the room with the two bunks. I'm like, this is all this gear. We got to have some storage and this and that and the other thing. And Jaffa's got a pencil out. He's drawn on the actual wall. <laughs> We want to put cabinetry. And so I drew up these plans and I took them to Dave and Dave's like, well, we should just go for it. And then he, of course, he had to run it past the boss and the boss is like, we can use it for that if we need to. And mostly it was about storage is what I'm remembering. We had all this, basically two pallets worth of medical supplies that had to fit on his boat. So we ended up finding alternative storage methods and we had that stuff jammed all over that boat. And so ultimately... I was asked to work as kind of a permanent consultant is the, the way it started initially on projects when the boat went out. And then ultimately I said to Dave, if you really want to make this a marine research foundation, there's a way to do that. Let's explore what this actually looks like. I pitched an idea to him. The only pitch I sold in Hollywood, right, Jonathan? Which was you have this foundation. We should take that opportunity to use that resource to take groups out and do research off the Channel Islands. And so we took groups out pro bono to do research that they couldn't otherwise do. They didn't have the resources to do. We did a thing on giant sea bass where the woman only could make day trips. And now all of a sudden she could do a two or three night stay and actually look at the sea bass at night. We did the first thing with Monterey Bay Aquarium where they were trying to get a juvenile white shark. That's right. That thing where they were trying to capture a juvenile great white to put in the mm -hmm. tank up in Monterey. My favorite one was Dan Cartamill, who was a PhD candidate down at Long Beach. We took him out to track Mola Mola for multiple days. This is some really cool stuff. Remember the night we screened one of the films we worked on and they did it as a fundraiser for the foundation. We did Ghosts of the Abyss. I met Bill Paxton that night. Those were the kinds of projects we were doing on the ship. I'll tell one more story because Jaffa alluded to it earlier before we get into the music. And that is... We're going to listen to the music? Eventually. No, let's just not. <laughs> I wish it was here. I haven't met Jim. Oh, okay. I'm only doing this via Dave. And we're down there doing some work. And we get the call that Jim's on his way to the boat. And I've not met the guy. Mm -hmm. I'm there. Jaffo's there. And Jim comes on the boat. And it's, we're having a really nice conversation in the galley. We're all just standing in a galley. We have chairs, but the heck with it. We're all just standing in the kitchen. And then Jaffo, uh -oh. because Jaffo is one of these guys who likes to poke stuff. He likes to stir the pot. Yeah, he stirred the pot. And Jaffo goes, you know, Jim, I've been meaning to ask you about that scene in the abyss. I was nicer than that. I complimented him first. I said, you know, my favorite movie ever is the abyss. I love that. This is how Jaffo works. He always starts with that. <laughs> You know, my favorite movie is this, but let me pick it apart real quick. So there's a scene where one character, in essence, drowns the other character and then drags them. It's an amazing scene. So, But, it's, but it's, is it accurate? That is the question. Okay, well, we'll get there. I, mean, I don't even know what the scene is. 
How can she determine if it's accurate if she doesn't know what it is? So the guy drowns his ex-wife, basically, is who she is in the film, <laughs> and then swims 60 yards, 80 yards yeah. from where Whatever they are to get back into the bigger underwater vessel. And then because she's drowned, he brings her up top and he performs mouth to mouth and she survives it. They're like 2,000 feet down. The water is really cold. So yes. it's all about cold water shock. So what? He drowned her and then regretted it? No, no. He drowned her and then revived her on the other side. And there's cold water shock, which is what Jim's defense is. But Jaffo says, basically calls him out on it and is asking me to pick it apart the first time yeah. I meet the guy. Cold water shock doesn't happen that way. Like this doesn't work, right? And I'm yeah. like, what am I supposed to do in that circumstance? First time I'm meeting the guy. Jaffo's throwing me under the bus already, right? Yeah. You stick to your guns as a professional practitioner of medicine. Exactly. Which is what he has hired you to do. <laughs> Here's what I said. I said, I think you could have got away with it if you just started with a chest thump. Heart stopped. Let's restart. No, that's, with a how, that's how they did it. You said they shouldn't have used the chest thump. Well, whatever because, it was, it was yeah. backwards, whatever it was. I did at least say one <laughs> subtle thing was out of place, but I wasn't going to sit there and pick the guy's work apart, uh, for <laughs> God's sake, at your request when I'm meeting him for the first time. Now, I had plenty of interesting conversations with the guy over the years but i wasn't gonna do it day one on the gallery of the sojourner hey. joffo's never let me live that down abigail what am i supposed to do i'm on joffo's side here what you're saying i'm going to here's these two people meeting for the first time i'm gonna stir the pot mad respect for that approach joffo i would do Thank the you. same thing See? there you go this is pops on hops where, where no one is safe, safe. Nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. <laughs> you have to let people know who you are up front. And if he wanted you to be a yes man, he wasn't the kind of person oh, you I was... want to work for anyway. <laughs> Hold on. Jaffa will defend me on this. I was definitely not a yes man. <laughs> well, not after that. So the Blue Planet Marine Research Foundation, we functioned for about four years and we were listed on things like Ghost of the Abyss. And what was the one about the deep trenches, Jaffo, the one they were working on um, right at the end? I, it was called. Yeah, um, I, I can't remember the name of it. Something of the deep. I'll look it up for the show notes. They were doing deep dives in the Mariana Trenches. So near the end, they were buying these submarine submersibles and they were going to go out to these deep trenches and do this diving. I had conversations with NASA about, was there any extra gear that needed to be on the ship? And in the context of doing that, they were doing something on the West Coast, something on the East Coast. They ran into some money problems. And so what they ended up doing was selling the Sojourner oh. to fund this film. Part of me knew that was probably going to be the end. They were like, we're going to do this. Money will come in from that. We'll buy what's actually technically more of a research vessel. So they sold the ship and that was the end of Blue Planet Marine Research Foundation. They finished the film and then he moved on. Avatar got sold and he moved on to do Avatar. So this little window of about four years where he was doing these other projects came to an end. Mm -hmm. At some point I went to Dave. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I think I'm just going to check out. You'll get back to me if there's a boat. And they didn't. And ultimately, we left and moved back to Florida. But to say that that wasn't the most amazing four years uh, of work and productivity was amazing. And on top of that, I still get to have friends like Jaffa. There you go. As we get into the album, the only Pink Floyd connection I can bring up that has anything to do with the boat, Abigail, is we would be moving the boat overnight. Well, we'd have to go from Santa Barbara to Catalina and do an overnight run. And we'd all have to take turns on the bridge on autopilot just don't hit a, another big boat every time Jaffo drew that it was pink floyd all night 
all the time. Yeah. Like the best place to play the album we're going to listen to is on the bridge of that ship going from Santa yes. Barbara Island to Catalina. Like yeah, yeah. I've never had a better place for Pink Floyd. It was amazing. Should we rate this beer before we go into the album? I think that's a pretty good idea. I like when the guests make suggestions yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're rating currently the, uh, let me look at the name, make sure I get it absolutely correctly. Creature of Habit is on the agenda. It's a dank and resinous IPA with Chinook, Mosaic, and Cryo Columbus hops, as we said before, made by Brew Lab and Carpenteria. It's only gotten better as it's warmed up. Yeah, no, I agree. And interestingly, Creatures of Habit is 66 IBUs, so the bitterness factor is higher than the Green Session IPA that we had. But I think I got more of the hoppiness out of the Green Session. Yeah, I'm not reading this hoppiness as bitter. Is that because, Abigail, you think that you started with two other flavors and the bitterness came on? You mean in the green tea? Yeah, potentially. In the green tea, and then the hops came on late, and you're like, oh, maybe I'm noticing this more because it was sweet up front, whereas this one is smooth up front. And it's pretty much the hop flavor, but it is a flavor. It's not a real super hoppy, bitter taste. It's a really flavorful beer, even though it's hoppy. It is. As it's warmed, I get more of the sweetness now, which I'm enjoying. Mm -hmm. I mean, they describe this as dank and resinous, but to me, that is more of like a punch in your face hoppy flavor. I don't find this to be that strong. Like I personally would not describe this as dank and resinous. This is an instance where the description turned me off from a beer that I I actually am enjoying. And don't you think resinous is a mouthfeel? Dare I say it? No, I don't. I was right with you on that, Barry. I would not describe this as dank. Totally get what you're saying, Abigail, when um, you were going down the herb right. road with that. But yeah, the feel, I get a little bit of that. I don't get a lot of that. I don't know that I would put it heavy in a description of this beer, mm -hmm. but I get a little yeah. bit of the resinous. So. I thought resinous was like piney. But I'm thinking sticky. Yeah, so that that's what I was thinking. Interesting. Yeah, I was thinking of a piney flavor. I will have to ask Peter next time I go in there how he was referring to it when, when they put resinous on it. That's a good point. Yeah. But despite all that, I am going to give this a 4.25 also, although I enjoyed it slightly more than the last one. So again, it's a gradation, but I think this is a solid amazingly good beer. I'm going to give it a 375 as well, which is also what I gave the last one. I think I like it just marginally worse than the last one, just because the last one had so much depth and complexity to the different flavors. And I enjoyed that experience and it gave me more to think about and talk about, but this is a really good beer and two 3.75 IPAs is a big day for me. <laughs> I was about to say, for Peter, this is huge for Abigail. Yeah, so. exactly. So I, I don't know. I might be starting to like IPAs. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm going to give this a four. I like this a lot, but I don't like it quite as much as the green tea session IPA. Abigail, I think you were right that that had a lot more flavors. It was a lot more depth in that, that green tea. And I will say when Peter put that out there, he was saying that the green tea is his top thing right now. And he oh, no. thinks that a lot of other breweries are going to start brewing with some green tea. We've had others, so it's not yeah. uncommon. And we're discussing this in gradations that qualifies as beer douches. These are two well, yeah. spectacular <laughs> beers. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. And we're arguing on the margins about things that we've enjoyed incredibly much because that's what we do here. But I will say mostly with Peter, but some of the other guys in Brew Lab, having sat in there late at night, they can go deep into this stuff just like we can. So they, when they listen to it, they will completely understand. But here's the difference. They are professionals. Right. And we are not. <laughs> and, and it's us. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Barry, you're about to drink one of my beers. So does that mean I'm graduating into professionalism? Well, listen, I don't know how I'm going to rate these yeah. on tap. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. But yes, we're moving on to two very spectacular things right now. We've got a Jaffo beer, at least one. And maybe, just maybe, we're going to talk music. It's not clear. I'm not sure Wait, we're there yet. What? We've never done that before. So of the two, we got a green and a blue. If we were only going to drink one, which one would you suggest? Let's start with the Haze Phaser. Which one? Haze is Phaser, blue cap, Abigail. Gorgeous color. Slightly hazy. It is a hazy IPA after all. I have an effervescence to this in my glass. That's a good thing. It means it's not flat. Jaffo, any brewer's notes on the haze phaser? No, because I lost all my notes to it and I don't remember what I put for hops on this. This is one of those ones I could never recreate. Both of these actually. The best beers are always that way. So the problem though is we can't really go create a thing on untapped for haze phaser because we don't have it any. It was a brewed as a, a New England IPA. All right, I'm having a sip. Oh, cheers. Cheers. That's a good beer, Jaffa. I'm not going to lie. That's a good beer. I would say the most notable feature about this beer is the lack of baggage. Which we can't say about the brewer. It's pretty much, well... I will say you're getting the most innocuous beers that I have done. This is very innocuous. That's a good right, way to describe it. They really are traditional standard hazies. Like I said, I don't know the percentage, but I'm guessing right around the 6%. It's uh, smooth. It's sweet. It's incredibly drinkable. Kudos, dude. Thank you. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I didn't expect they were going to be awful. Well, you should have. It was me making a beer. Yeah, I've seen your <laughs> other work. It's a good hazy IPA. Like it's identifiable as a hazy IPA. Abigail, did you just call an IPA good? She did. <laughs> She's coming around, Jaffo. She's coming around. What? I haven't listened to every one of your Pops and Hops podcasts, but I've listened to a lot of, I don't think I've ever heard you call an IPA good. So I am taking that to heart. She has an uh, IPA epiphany. Coming yeah. Up. An epiphany. An epiphany. An IPA phony. Or a ipophany. Ipophany. An ipophany. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to say the following. We have got to talk some music. We've had a lot of hops. Where are the pops? We know this is a podcast about beer, music, and family, not in that order. We've had the family. We've had the beer. We've had a lot of family this episode. I know there's only five tracks, but there's 12 clips. We got work to do. By the way, I'm, I've drained two-thirds of this class already. So <laughs> I don't know how many tracks we're going to get in before I have to open the next one. I'm going slowly. I'm trying to savor this one. It's a rare find. So as I continue to enjoy this surprisingly <laughs> good, and I and I say that with a lot of love, Jaffa, I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> I know, I appreciate it. No, I totally get it. I think it's time, Abigail, to get into the album, don't you think? Well, finally... So I've been tasked with leading the album discussion, meaning I pull all the clips, Jaffo. As you know, this is an album that only has five tracks. The first track is incredibly long. 
And the fifth track is incredibly long because they are pieces of songs. I want to say they're kind of an orchestral arrangement where the songs have maybe four or five sections in them with distinct changes in the song. Yes. And the original concept was we're going to write in a whole album side. It's going to be a nonstop side. But I guess in the construction of the album, the additional material was shorter and they couldn't really put this big orchestral thing on one side and have these three more standard song structures on the other side because it's an unbalanced album. So what they opted to do is they wrote this amazing orchestral thing and they split it down the middle and did it as bookends and, and have three specific tracks in the middle. So Abigail and I decided to be fair to these two long tracks. Well, we'll talk about the track as a whole because that's the way it's structured on the album. But in order to give everybody a flavor of what these five movements are or four movements are within the song, we're going to share little snippets. So I prepared clips, five clips for track one. We also decided to, because part of the podcast, we picked three favorites and a least favorite track. So we decided to open the entire 12 pieces up. There's nine pieces in the first two tracks and three standard songs in the middle. We opened all of that up because the 13 minute songs, there's basically five songs in there. Yeah. They may be instrumental, but they are the length of a standard song. If a piece of music or one of those is our favorite, we're going to call it out. And I'm going to so, try to give a little context to the different clips on the two pieces that are called Shine On You, Crazy Diamond, parts one through five are the first track, parts six through nine are the last track. So start this all off. We're going to start with the first track on the album, which is... And just so we know going forward, you didn't tell me this prior. I'm not sure I can pull that apart. And by the way, I ranked the songs in my head, in essence, one through five. So I have a least favorite of the five tracks. Okay. Abigail opened this up, it actually saved me to a certain degree because when you're looking at the five tracks and you have to pick a least favorite, that's a tricky thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll share that anyway. My least favorite song got rescued by my least favorite piece of music. Does that make sense? <laughs> does that make sense? In this? It's, a, it does. it's such a weird album. By the way, I didn't know a lot about this album. I really grew to love this album a lot. It is a moody album that, like you said, there's certain times and places where you to pull this out. And my instant vision was sitting on the bridge of that ship. Everybody says these guys were the origins of progressive rock or prog rock. And I can get that to a certain degree. But there's a lot of jazziness to this album. Sure. And of course, because it's the 70s and they're playing a lot with newer synthesizers, you know, it sounds very electronic because of the synthesizers. So it's really hard to kind of classify what this album is. It's interesting because when you look at their name actually came from two blues musicians. One was, you know, last name was Pink, one was Floyd. So they have a heavy blues background. But I think when you get into the later 60s, early 70s, if you are an experimental rock band, you can't help but have a lot of jazz influences. And I listened to a great podcast. I'll reference this again. It's called The History of Rock Music and 500 Songs. I just did an episode on The Birds, Eight Miles High, and a bunch of that record was influenced by John Coltrane to your point. And what really progressed rock music was pulling elements from the past and making it something new. Mm -hmm. I feel like Pink Floyd used elements of what preceded them and pushed it to a new place. And I don't think anybody's quite replaced what they've done. I agree. 
I touched on this earlier. You look at Echoes on Metal. Echoes is a song that went a whole side of the album. You didn't have that kind of music before Pink Floyd, and you really don't have a lot of that sense. None of Abigail's peers are going to go download a 17-minute song. Right. It's got five jazzy movements and one vocal patch. They're not going to go sit through a long, extended thing like that necessarily. Yeah, no, I remember buying albums and put it on the turntable, and I would listen to the whole thing straight through. And if it was good, I would go back and listen to it again and again and again. You were in for at least a side of an album. Right. So Pink Floyd could get away with having a side of an album that was... To be fair, because... Because we're attacking Abigail. I don't take well to millennial slander, but, I mean, it's like a chicken and the egg thing. How much of it was the music industry started marketing music differently and pushing singles and music videos? And I think that the way I listen to music and the way my cohort listens to music is an artifact of that and not necessarily the other way around. I think you are absolutely right. Thank you. Interestingly enough, it once again goes back to the album. We will eventually get... <laughs> I was so close. I was on track one. But your point about it, I think that marketing plan changed when downloading started happening. Yes, when people were much. file sharing with things like Napster, nobody was going to go buy an album. They shifted gears and it was all about, well, we'll create the medium where we can download a single and sell it for a buck. They found a way for them to make money versus the artists. I mean, that's always been the game, right? But the problem with that is it makes it hard to say, well, download 12 songs. I think that's where the album suffered. It's way more interesting to try to construct 12 songs into a package than it is to give me one single. Yeah. But will we see that again on a regular basis? I don't know the answer to that. I hope we do. Because no. like Abigail likes to say, what will we talk about? And four hours into this where we haven't addressed a single song, I think we can find something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but, but will it be interesting to anybody but us? Uh, probably not. But that's, uh, I don't know. We have fans. Well, you'll listen to it. I'll listen to it. Abigail will listen to it. So there's at least three of us. But I want to know when I start banging on doors in Oxnard to try to figure out where they can buy the haze phaser. That's when we know we have <laughs> And Joffo's like, I can't make it again. I don't remember the ingredients. I can't even tell you the hop. I had it written down. I don't know what happened to it. I, I, I write it all down. I... What do you say we actually talk some music on this music podcast? Yes. Let's do it. Let's start with Shine On You Crazy Diamond. This is one through five. This is the opening track of the album. There's five pieces. We're going to start with part one, which is an instrumental. The big thing in here is a big solo by David Gilmore. So that's reflective of what goes on for about the first four minutes of the track. That didn't make my top three, but it was a contender. Oh, wow. And strictly because of that guitar solo. I think that guitar solo is very cool. And especially after the long, long intro with nothing but synthesizer, it's a real breath of fresh air when the guitar finally comes in. 
I will say Nick Mason, who's the keyboardist, he's very good throughout Pink Floyd's career at being very understated. But if you were to take that away, you would lose so much. And you can hear that right here. But with David Gilmore's guitar coming in there, David Gilmore is my favorite guitarist of all time. Wow. And it's one of those guitars where it sounds like it'd be very simple. But if you try to play that guitar, it's... Right, right. Yeah, you cannot match that brilliance of his guitar playing. Just even right in that little clip you played you hear what you were talking about earlier with the blues and jazz influences absolutely right so coming out of part one we move into the next part and this starts with a four note theme that basically has been informally known as sid's theme in honor of sid barrett I really wanted to focus on that four-note theme because I found it, it's a very orchestral thing to establish a theme song for a character. Yeah. You know, just think about something sure. like the Star Wars music where we have well, Luke's theme and we have Leia's theme and we have Yoda's theme and Darth Vader's theme. And they use that as an undercurrent for different scenes in the film. So it starts to take on that kind of a cinematic flair when mm-hmm. you listen to it. It looks like a soundtrack to something. And, and they clearly are telling a story. But these guys are tasked with creating that story that they have in their mind and playing a kind of a soundtrack to a story that we're not privy to. But I think establishing Mm -hmm. a, even if it's a four note coda for a character in this is really a smart thing to do. I think you're right. You're talking about the cinematic flair of Pink Floyd. They are definitely telling a story. Sometimes it's very understated as this is where you don't really know where they're going. Sometimes it's right in your face, like the wall became. Well, this one's interesting because it's a story about Sid Barrett. We kind of all know that in retrospect. And when we get to the lyrics that's there, these first three movements are an enormous intro to this lyrical pass we're going to get to Mm -hmm. here in a minute. So somewhere in their storytelling, they're sharing elements of, and I assume Sid Barrett, and it becomes this opus. These two pieces have really, really grown on me over time. I, I really appreciate what these things stand for. But I think also when you listen to it and you take it as a whole, like you, like you said, it originally was supposed to be one huge piece. I, I think we'll find that it works much better as bookends. But when you look at it as one huge piece, it shows you what Sid meant to all the mm-hmm. band members too. He was only there on an album and a half, but they're writing this huge peace for him you see this huge figure in their life that came and it was that bright exploding star and then fading into the background of who they are coming out of part two we go into part three part three is kind of synthesizer driven there is a gilmore uh, solo on here
little bit different type of solo in the fact that they put a little distortion on it. But mm-hmm. uh, again, going back to Jaffo's point earlier about what a great guitar player David Gilmore is, that, that's an amazing guitar solo. To me, the difference between that solo and the one we heard in our clip for part one, if we're thinking of this as the progression of Sid's life, this solo sounds in the performance itself, this solo sounds more out of control than the first one. I mean, the first one he's playing mostly single notes they're very controlled this one it's almost screaming i mean it's like a screaming sound if you're looking at this as the progression of you know the life of this friend i think you can hear some of that in the solos themselves i love that it's an amazing analysis of that yeah it really really is and i can't tell you how many times i have listened to this and i never put that together in the whole progression of the song I, I love that analysis of it thank you i think some pieces of art if you do too much analysis it ruins <laughs> the piece of art but i think these songs shine on you crazy diamond both bookends they had so much more meaning to me once i learned the backstory once i learned right. that sid's theme was called sid's theme i think that this is an example of a piece of art where having the extra background knowledge actually makes the experience of listening to it better learning that those four notes were informally called Sid's theme that was extremely moving to me to learn that and not just because it appears throughout this song but to just think about having someone who you have this four note calling card for they could put those four notes into any other piece of music they write for the rest of time and Sid will be there he will have a presence in that piece of music if his four notes are there so that was extremely moving to me I think it's not just a song though because yes you can pull songs out of this album but when you take it as an album as a whole Mm -hmm. concept piece you start to realize how much Sid meant to the band. But the only reason this worked at the time, too, you guys talked about Dr. Demento on your Dorks on Corks podcast. Yes, our sister podcast, Dorks on Corks, addressed the whole <laughs> Dr. Demento thing. On this particular one, you were talking about Weird Al, who got his start on Dr. Demento, who I used to listen to on a radio station called KMET here in Southern California. It was a big LA station. In fact, it is a station that Roger Waters wrote an album called Radio Chaos, and that was about KMET. How about that? But these guys, Jim Lab, Bob Coburn, these guys who started in the late 60s, they got onto KMET doing this freeform radio. And that is why Pink Floyd actually took off in the States, because those guys at KMET and a few other radio stations around the country were willing to play this whole thing rather than just cutting it down to 305, which was the standard song. Right. So people got to hear Shine On You Crazy Diamond hmm. or these much longer songs. That's an interesting point because my station of choice in Philly was WMMR, which was a classic rock station back in, mm-hmm. the, in the same era. I heard Pink Floyd songs, but I heard the stuff that would fit into that four minute or four right. minute. So the Pink Floyd I was familiar with was more what you would consider album singles or singles adjacent this album with two sides like this might not have gotten airplay as good as the material is you have these two bookends and then three what you would consider maybe single length songs that they have to do the three single length songs to even have a chance of getting any airplay on a radio in the late 70s mid 70s so that takes us up to part four of the first track we may finish this on the same calendar day i'm not sure Uh, so this is uh part four of track one shine on you crazy diamond remember Like 
I love this section of the song. And so when Abigail opened it up, this is my third favorite piece of music on the album, clearly written about Sid Barrett and his struggles. Lyrically, one of the best, uh, most concise piece of lyricism on the album. Now you take it into context of an entire 13 minute track and you're eight minutes into it before you get to the vocal. I appreciate that. I don't have any problem with that. I think the whole track works well together, but when you isolate this out, I think this is brilliant. So this is my third favorite individual section of music on the album. It is also my third favorite section. And once again, we match, we match, we match, we match. See how this works, Jafu? You can give us anything. If we sit on it for two weeks, we're going to come down to about, generally speaking, two out of three matches. Yeah, I just, you're right. It's very concise storytelling. The whole story is in this four sentences, right? I like what Jaffa said earlier about when you're in the mood to think about friendship, you listen to this album because they describe him with all these nouns. They're not all complimentary. They're all about complex figures. They call him a stranger, a legend, a martyr. Later on, they call him a raver. (laughs) What that means is they're really seeing him for who he is. I think that is what we all want from a friendship is just to be seen as we are and to be loved because of or in spite our flaws and our imperfections. Nailing this guy's character down through these list of nouns is just so cool. They look at the complexity and they embrace the complexity. No judgment. But I think when you listen to lyrics too, uh, and I agree with everything that's been said, but they, at least early on, I think put Sid Barrett up on a pedestal. And I think you can hear that in these lyrics. Brilliant friend, brilliant musician, brilliant lyricist, everything that they wanted to be. And he just burns so bright and then burns out. And I think they really capture going from legend to martyr how he had faults and he fell from this grace. They eventually see who he is and he sees who he is and succumbs to his darker demons. On one hand, that is just incredibly sad and gut-wrenching. And on the other hand, that is life, which they deal with throughout all their albums. What's interesting about his quote-unquote demons is that it was a mental health problem. This was a guy who they watched implode because of things way outside of his control. And I think that's reflected in the complexity of this, Jaffa. And the fact that they're accepting of that is reflected in this too. Remember, this is all being written and recorded. And when he shows up, 
in the studio that night in Abbey Road, and they don't even recognize mm-hmm. the guy. Two of right. the band members are like, is he with you? Is he with, who is that? And it takes them a long time to recognize that that's even their colleague who's sitting there. Right. That's how far he had fallen. And as I understand it, they continued to stay in contact. They continued to be friends till Sid Bird's death. So coming out of the vocal, we lead into part five of this movement. big saxophone solos on that one to wrap it up and going back to your point earlier Jaffa you know you had the bluesy guitar earlier and I got the jazzy mm-hmm. horn here this yeah. is what a great way to wind this up so that's track one all five parts and originally when we weren't sure how we were going to do this I was trying to pick of the five tracks this would have been my as a unit my third favorite track also i think the piece of this that really stood out for me the most was the vocals because of the story of sid that's the same for me um what? If we were doing yeah if we were doing tracks only i need a new co-host it's more controversial <laughs> I also, when I was looking up the story behind this song and the lyrics, I read that Shine on You, Crazy Diamond, S-Y-D, was also a tribute to Sid. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I'd never heard that, but okay. But I think this is, like I said before, a beautiful piece of music that is only made better once you know the story behind it. I don't know if I would have appreciated this song, I don't know if I would have put it in the third slot, if I'm totally honest, if I hadn't really paid attention to the story behind it and then used that to piece together what the song meant to them as they were writing it. I think this would have been my third favorite without knowing the story. I think knowing that I have a bigger emotional attachment to it than I would have otherwise, but I think Uh from just a straight up musical standpoint, I would have probably put the entire package in the third slot. Taken as a whole, I think I would take this as my second on the album, really because of the lyrics in there. And when I was setting it up earlier and said why I picked it, I had mentioned a friend of ours had passed away. And I think I was thinking about that when I picked this album. That friend, Abigail, if you didn't know, that's Dave. He passed away two days before his 52nd birthday. Oh, wow. So, and this is an album that always, for obvious reasons, brings me back to friendships and friends lost and things along those lines. And I think that's where I was at when I had chosen this album for the podcast. Uh, I think I, I told your dad, well, maybe that doesn't fit your your podcast. Well, it's only five songs, and, but I love the way we're doing it tonight because it's really making it fit into the podcast. and and really bringing a depth to this. But, you know, one of the big reasons why this is one of my favorite Floyd albums 
Hearts is because of the whole tie to friendships and friends lost and bringing down off that pedestal like we just mm-hmm. talked about. And then with Dave, that was one of those things too, because working with Dave, Dave was a huge personality. Yes, he was. Who I think I probably at times had put him on the pedestal, but listening to the lyrics after he had passed in this, you know, I, I realized, you know, he's just a person. That's what this brought back to me. Well said, my friend. We worked with a lot of big personalities. Yes. Dave included. Believe it or not, we're finally through track one. We're going to move on to track two, and that's the track Welcome to the Machine. You've been in the pipeline, filling your time. Provided with toys and scouting for more. You bought a guitar to punish your mind. I think lyrically, this song is brilliant. There's two things going on here. One is the music industry stuff that we talked about earlier, which is the grind of the music, but it's about a specific character, right? Who's basically buying a guitar to rebel, despite his fact that his mom's saying, don't do it. He bought it to quote unquote, punish his mom so he can have an independent career. And then you get the guitar, you have the career, and now you're the victim of the industry that's just going to churn you through that. And I wasn't sure whether this was about Sid or was about other guys in the band. I found this very lyrically interesting. But I will say that if I was rating the five tracks as five tracks, this would be my least favorite track. Gosh darn it. Me too. <laughs> really? <laughs> me too. Get at it. I actually love the song. I agree. Lyrically, it's great. Yes. Don't get me wrong. This is Pops and Hops. We have to pick a least favorite. So <laughs> this is my least favorite of five individual tracks. Abigail bailed me out when she said, let's do 12 individual pieces of music. Right. Okay. I don't have to throw this one under the bus because I do like the song a lot. But mm-hmm. musically, of the songs on here, it is kind of the most repetitive musically and kind of least interesting mm-hmm. musically. I do think when you take the album as a whole piece, this is setting up everything we hear from this point out. No doubt. And it's, you became a musician. Now you're getting chomped up in that machine. And everything we hear from here on out is all about what's going on with that. So uh-huh. it's very much a setup song. Right. So in the context of the whole album, Jaffo, you have a song about this guy who had a mental health breakdown that bookends it. Right. It's almost like when you see a movie where you see the ending scene and then it's like, 12 hours earlier and you go back (laughs) and you see all that leading up to that end scene again. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the structure of this album. So this is sort of the early years. You got a guitar, you're going to tell mom, "Ah, I'm out of here. I'm not doing the regular business, but you already have an inkling that maybe this wasn't such a hot choice because business is business. Doesn't matter what the business is. You're not going to be as independent as you think you are. And I think with the intro with shine on you, crazy diamond, Everything is balanced in that song. No instrument is being favored over another. Some of them get to shine a little bit more at one point or another, but overall, they are all very balanced. Where this one is just so synthesizer heavy. Yeah. It's really overpowering. I think that's probably why 
And it's my least favorite of the 12 as well, Dad. Oh, interesting. I think part of that must be because it's so one note. And let's not forget, it's seven and a half minutes long. But I think that's what it's supposed to be, too. It's supposed to be Mm -hmm. growing up and having this monotonous life. And everything is the same thing. And there isn't a lot of depth to that. At least musically, lyrically, there's a lot of depth. And I think it is meant to put you a little bit on edge within the bigger scope of the album it's a song that's meant to be like oh this is where that mental health issue came from you started as a kid yeah if that is your childhood basically that one note all that monotony and Mm -hmm. that is meant to put you on edge yeah it's not meant to be anybody's favorite song yeah and synthesizers obviously used a lot in horror film soundtracks Mm -hmm. it's kind of in many cases a spooky sounding instrument and i don't think it sounded spooky at all in the first iteration of shine on you crazy diamond oh not all but in this song it kind of takes on a spookiness to it so i think that is a great point what you're saying about it's meant to put you on edge because even the synthesizer sound is a little Mm -hmm. spookier than it was in the last song this song also makes me think of zach my brother a little especially the line (laughs) you didn't like school and you know you're nobody's fool like he's an extremely Mm -hmm. smart person but just didn't do well in school or at least not as well as I did and you did school was all I had right being good at school was something I excelled at and he just never was that way but he's so incredibly intelligent the machine (laughs) the machine that we're all on says if you don't do well in school that's it it's conforming to the machine right I will tell you as a teacher though and and as somebody who didn't go to school till I was 33 you know at least to school in any kind of serious way not everybody should be going to college absolutely not and that is a problem in the machine that we we have created with yes. you know within capitalism i know we've gotten off a of beer and music now, yes, so. i'm gonna remind everybody we're listening to pops on the hops where we talk about beer and music and speaking of beer I'm going to rate this haze phaser. I am really impressed by this. I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. This is, I'm giving this one, I'm giving this a four. Wow. Very good beer. It is a great representation of a hazy IPA category. It's a simple hazy IPA. There's nothing Mm -hmm. overly fancy about it. The hop flavor comes through. It's not overly bitter. Really tasty beer. You're doing something right. Thank you, sir. I am going to give this a 3.75. Wow. I agree that is a very good representation of a hazy IPA. I think this is a great base beer to use your creativity and play with with some different flavors and ingredients. Thank you. Do you have any suggestions? Obviously, citrus would be one to start with. I was thinking grapefruit. I was thinking grapefruit too. I'll tell you the one that's underutilized that would be good for this. Blood orange. Yeah. May I suggest persimmon? No, I'm joking. I was thinking dragon fruit, actually. Anyway, that was particularly tasty. Yeah, it was very tasty. Thank you. You were running a risk. You're going to send me some bottles of beer. We're going to talk about them on a podcast. I'm like, oh boy, what if I, what if this is a train wreck? You know, what if we hate uh, it? Not only is it not a train wreck, it was very, very good. So now we're moving on to our last selection of the night, which is Hazy 8. Another, what's your brewery called? Jaffo Brewery. We got to name it. Oh, do we get to be involved in that? <laughs> of course. I got to tell you, you're going to have to do better on the labels than masking tape with ink on it <laughs> that's not going to be the marketing tactic this one is overflowing oh gosh oh no pour it quick 
Pour it. What are you doing? Yeah, pour it or it's just going to keep doing it. Oh, no. Kids today, Josh. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Abigail, when I was your age, I would have just put my mouth over the bottle and it would be gone. Any uh, brewer's notes on Hazy 8? No, I've lost all the brewer's notes I took on this batch. I did three hazies and all the brewer's notes are gone on that. Lost to time. I didn't expect being on a podcast. So in the glass, this one's a little hazier than the last one, I think. A little cloudier. Color similar more flavorful. Where'd you go, Abigail? I have to change my pants because they're covered in beer. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you wanted to be off camera, which is why you Of course. Yeah, I was sitting in a puddle of it. Oh. I know, not pleasant. Have you had a sip yet? (laughs) No, I haven't had a sip yet. I'm (laughs) focusing on getting dry. Should I have a sip? Should I... Well, it would propel the conversation forward if we all had a sip. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Now we're concerned with propelling the conversation forward? All right. I will have a sip before I put my pants on one moment. Uh, This might be my favorite of the night. Really? Of everything we've had? Yeah. Wow. How about that? And not just because I was covered in it. (laughs) (laughs) Might be my favorite of the night because I was sitting in it. I also like it. It's got a fruitier flavor to it than the previous one. I think this one is similar to the second one we had from Brew Lab. Yeah. The Brew Lab had a hoppier flavor at the end. This one has a fruitier flavor throughout. It'd be nice to know what hops you used and some other things. It would be, wouldn't it? We'll never know. And we're going to broadcast our lack of knowledge to dozens of listeners. All right. Going to move on now on our tour of what it means to be crapped on in the music industry. We're moving on from <laughs> Welcome to the Machine to Have a Cigar. So I absolutely love this song. This is a recognizable song from Radio Airplay. Most of my experience with Pink Floyd is that. This was probably going into this album, my favorite Pink Floyd song ever. Wow. The guitar, just the whole approach to the song. And again, I always thought it was a song about capitalism or the problems associated with capitalism. I didn't realize it was so music specific. And I got to tell you, Joff, I didn't realize until I read the lyrics that this has one of the greatest lines, I think. The band is just fantastic. That is really what I think. Well, by the way, which one's pink? (laughs) (laughs) It's so meta. That is just a spectacular line. And I never realized that until I really did this project, how specific it was to their experience in the music industry. And you would say, oh, he's in tobacco prevention. How could he like a song called Have a Cigar? Because the irony, (laughs) because the cigar is irony, right? Right. This is what it means to be a man. Have a cigar. It's such antithetical to what it means to be a man that I just, I love that irony. Again, it's my favorite song on this particular album, but it's probably my favorite one of their songs, at least the ones that you would think of as singles 
Beatles radio play stuff that I've had a lot of familiarity with. This is my favorite on the album. We're four for four. We even matched the alternates. This is insane. We won't for my second favorite. I just know we won't. But yeah, this is my favorite of the five, favorite of the 12. Bizarrely, this is so crazy. I heard this last night as I was <laughs> eating dinner before my concert and I was like, Hey, I know this <laughs> more than anything. What this project has done for me is made it so that I can recognize more music in public places. <laughs> but I agree. I think musically, this song is super interesting. Lyrically, it's fun. It's got that meta kind of breaking the fourth wall, right? They're talking about themselves very clearly. And I really like it as a third song. And the three songs in between the bookends are all stylistically completely different. They do tell a progressive story, right? Yes. Yeah. Leading up to the success, the success piece, and then the post-success piece or the three pieces in the middle. Story-wise, this has to be in the middle. What I meant was from the musical style perspective, I like that we started out with a slower burn. We've come into this, which has a darker tone to it, but it's still more musically interesting than the last one we heard. Right. And then the next one we're going to hear is almost like country-ish a little bit. Let's just say folk. Yeah, folky. Yeah. Like it has some different instrumentation, some elements that might make it seem lighter musically. Yes. Yeah, I think this is well-placed stylistically as well as obviously in the story progression this is my third favorite on the album i do love the song and i've always loved the song originally it seemed like pink floyd's dealings with the music industry which obviously is a huge part but i really think this song you really can go beyond the individual view of the music company into like Barry you were saying it's capitalism it's the whole machine that we get put in and you have that dual thing going on because people really see the music industry as oh they're just up there singing they're not doing anything and we've worked in the entertainment business yes entertainment is hard work is it important work i think it's important work too is it important as being a doctor or teacher probably not <laughs> but it's still very important work and hard work and people don't get that, you know, even music producers, they're coming out and they're talking to the bands and they're just looking at them with dollar signs. They're not looking at them with the talent and everything that goes into that. And I think with this song, you're seeing that portion of the music industry, but then you're seeing a bigger portion of industry and capitalism as a whole. Like I said, gone into this, I always thought it was that first. So yeah, no, instantly recognizable guitar riffs. And just uh -huh. to me, this is the sound that I think of when I think of Pink Floyd. I mean, there's a lot of tracks off of Dark Side of the Moon that sound like this. Sure. So coming out of that song is the third of what we would say are technically single length songs. And that's the titular song, Wish You Were Here. So, so you think you could tell Heaven from hell Blue skies from pain Can you tell a green field From a cold steel rail A smile from a veil Do you think you can tell
this is my second favorite. Really? Yeah, this is my second favorite. I thought it was going to be way down the list just because it's all acoustic guitar. No. As an active listener, I can see you've heard our previous discussion. (laughs) Do not dislike acoustic guitar. That's a misnomer. Abigail might chide me on that. (laughs) And on this album, when you break it into 12 pieces of musically diverse stuff, this is just another musically diverse track. I love this song. I've always loved this song. This is another one you hear quite often on the radio because of the length. But I think the lyrics are beautiful too. And I think this is the aftermath of being beaten up by the music industry, although I think it's specific to what happened to Sid Barrett. No, I think this is a beautifully written song. It doesn't bother me that it's acoustic, Jaffa. Sorry to, <laughs> sorry to ruin your vision of me. Well, this is not my second favorite. Oh, look who's not a fan of acoustic music tonight. Yeah, it's completely different from everything else on the album. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a musically diverse entry into an album of musically diverse songs, but I would argue that this is totally out of left field compared to the rest of the stuff on the album. That said, I think the lyrics are beautiful, beautifully sad. And I think it's a very pretty song, but I like the second part of Shine On You Crazy Diamonds better. That's going to end up being my second favorite. So this was like my first real Pink Floyd exposure. This is a nice respite and it's a very pretty song, but it didn't fit into what I now think of as Pink Floyd. It just didn't make the top three. It also didn't make the bottom one. (laughs) So this is the only one that didn't make any kind of list tonight. (laughs) In the storytelling of the three songs where this is the song in the aftermath, to me, it's kind of nice that it's relaxing. I mean, the lyrics are deep and complex, but musically it's relaxing. So there's an interesting storytelling element to the music. Now that you've gotten through all this, take a breath and relax. On this particular song, I agree with Abigail. It's completely different than anything on this album. And it is really completely different than most of the things Pink Floyd has done. And this is actually my favorite song on the album for many reasons. Wow. Yeah. Abigail. It sounds like nothing like Pink Floyd and it's his favorite. So there's precedent for me saying it's number two. You're right. I have always thought of this as a song written for Sid. Uh, Roger Waters has always said no, but there's got to be some Sid buried in there. But again, if you take this album as a whole and you listen to the song, who else are they wishing they were here? They're wishing the child who was there before they got into the machine was there. And as we all do, as we get older, oh, I wish that younger version of myself was still around and that I still had that option optimism or that whatever it is is still around like we talked about with most of the songs on this album it just hits on so many levels it's one of those things this is an album i put on when i'm nostalgic for lost friends and lost loves and so it hits me on that level it's also the first song i ever learned to play on the guitar so (laughs) so i got that so bury that lead you say he uh, roger water said this isn't about sid so the only mm-hmm. other interpretation of that is that it's about Roger himself, right? That he went through that same process that Sid went through. And so sure. you wonder if it's more of a self-reflective piece of music. And I think Roger Waters would say, yeah, everything is very self-reflective. Definitely everything after Dark Side of the Moon. So now we're down to the last track, which is another massive track. The total length is 1228. It's got four sections to it. Parts six through nine. So we're going to start off with the first section of that. Mm-hmm. 
for the bulk of that piece that I chose to play was a Selena string ensemble synthesizer with some power chords by David Gilmore. In the original track, it's about a four and a half minute piece of music. There's some other stuff in there, but that's representative of it. Coming out, I had to go to part seven of the entire suite of what we're calling uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. And this is the only vocal part of this particular section. I think we played that entire section, which is only a minute, 20 seconds from start to finish, mm -hmm. which is the entire lyrical part of that section. They're not quite as complex as the first set from track one. I think it's kind of wrapping up the story. I do like it a lot. Yeah, this is my second favorite of the 12. Okay. And again, this whole piece is my second favorite of the five. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, it's probably a little unoriginal to pick both lyrical parts as <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> but I will just reiterate what I said about being seen completely by the people who know you and still being loved by them. In this section, he's called a boy child, a winner and loser and a minor for truth and delusion. That part being called a minor for truth and delusion. I think that is what put this one above the other lyrics. I just think that's such an interesting way to describe someone as a minor for truth and delusion. Because it seems like an oxymoron, right? How can you be a minor for both truth and delusion? <laughs> but you cannot be deluded out of the truth unless you actually deep down know the truth. Delusion means you are willfully ignoring the truth. If you don't know the truth, you're ignorant. You're not deluded. I love this. Obviously, I put one through five ahead of this, but I was talking about the lyrics in part four as looking at somebody that they have put on a pedestal. Sid Barrett was obviously the quintessential person early on in their lives and their band when they were getting together and forming before he had his break with reality. Now it is we we will be there. It's no longer you. Now it's, oh, I've gone through all of this that was in the middle of the album and I understand how you got here. I get where you just got there a lot quicker than I did. I have no doubt that this is Roger Waters now saying, oh yeah, I'm on that precipice. I could easily fall off here. Yeah. If you read it that way, Jaffa, it seems like you need the middle three songs. Yes. You need these two parts of Shine On You Crazy Diamond to be bookends. It wouldn't work as one piece. Yes. 
because you need the middle three songs to get the context and the full interpretation of the lyrics in the second piece. I do think you're right. This is a concept album that you have to listen to through the whole thing to really understand what's going on. Like your dad said, he knew Have a Cigar because it got a lot of airtime. But if you take Have a Cigar out of this whole context, does Have a Cigar really have the same meaning that it has when you put it into this context? Or Wish You Were Here, which is the other one that's gotten a lot of radio time. I would say they have more context because of that. I'll say it this way. They have context because they're in the middle of a package. They stand on their own. Yes. They tell a story on their own, those songs, but they have more context in the position and the storytelling of the entire album. So again, going through this exercise and really listening to this as a whole package was really, I think, a great informative project. We have two clips left. We're on to part eight of Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Obviously, this section is very keyboard and synthesizer driven. I do like it very much. It's very jazzy. Groovy. Yeah. Uh, we talked about jazz earlier and the jazz and blues influence. This is definitely hit those jazz notes. It's part of that free form music that comes out of the jazz world. Yeah. Right? That the ability yeah. to just kind of go off on a riff. This album reflects that. All of a sudden, in the middle of a song, you get a almost three minute keyboard jazz riff. Yeah. Only Pink Floyd could get away with this. And this has been Pink Floyd since Umaguma. All right. That leaves us with one clip left. The fourth part of the second Shine On You Crazy Diamond. This is a bit of a downer. It's sort of a funeral dirge to me. And in fact, my note is Disney Main Street Electrical Parade. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's an obscure reference for those of us old enough to remember. Musically, it sounds very much like that, but it's like that as a funeral march. You're right. It's the Disney Parade in the minor key. 
And so here's a shock. This is my least favorite individual piece of music <laughs> on the album. Now, in the context of the entire suite of things that we're going to call Shine On You Crazy Diamond, it fits. It ends the story. We know what the story is. We know how it ends. It's perfect. But when Abigail said, let's look at each clip, it was easy for me to put this one at the bottom. I think the way you just talked about that, though, shows how important it is to keep all of these within the concept of a whole album. Because once you play it within that whole spectrum of the album, I don't know that you could have ended the album any other way. Right. This is a three and a half minute piece of music. It is a quote unquote song when piece of music right right and if you just played that for me i wouldn't be into that i would agree this would be my least favorite of all of them when taken out of context i like the clip you chose though it's true this is a slow funeral dirge and it was meant as sort of the musical eulogy to sid but the part you chose there's the sustained note and that single note as it sustains becomes lighter and to me that is like Sid ascending to heaven the last breath right the soul leaving the body (laughs) but it redeems the whole slow part that came before it just for that final beautiful note that has some hope in it I'm going to go back to what I said about shine on you crazy diamond as a whole you start off very slow and just soft and it builds and builds and builds until you hit that crescendo, which you do at the end of part five. And then here you start coming back down and it really is the whole crescendo of a life. And with Sid Barrett, that happened very early in his life. And then he comes back down. They become a prologue and an epilogue to the middle story, the kind of rise and fall. Also a crescendo and decrescendo, right? Definitely. So just some final thoughts on this before we rate your final beer. I'm really glad you brought this album to our attention. I was not familiar with it. I probably have heard it in your presence, to be honest. (laughs) But to sit and analyze it and think about it and really dive into it, totally joyful experience for me. Abigail, I don't know how you felt about it, but I really enjoyed doing this. Yeah, I did too. I had sort of the same initial impression. It really, really grew on me. It's a great album to listen to while working. It's extremely ambient. It's a really nice soundtrack to just life. And once I dug into the actual story behind the album, it really opened up for me. I'm really glad that I did that additional research ahead of time. It's a soundtrack for life and a soundtrack of a life, isn't it? Right. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing tribute to that guy. Great pick, Jaffo. I'm glad that was the first one that came out of your collection. I am now also. Like I texted you at that one point. I'm like, you know, if you want to do a different album, we can do that. No, I said random is random, dude. We never stepped down from a challenge. And I'm glad you didn't because I think this was great. Abigail liked your idea of pulling apart the individual pieces. She suggested that because she thought we'd have nothing to talk about. Well, yeah. And that's what I thought. All right. I'm looking at my last sips of Hazy 8 and to Dave. And to Dave. He is missed. Now, let's talk about Hazy 8. I'm digging this one. Yeah, me too. I got to give this a four and a quarter. Wow. I'm sorry you don't have any notes. I can't put it on tap. I can't (laughs) give you any credit. (laughs) This is good, man. It's all good. Where have you been my whole adult life? I think this is Belgian-y. You were talking earlier about you thought Creatures of Habit was a little Belgian-y. I did. I think this one is a little Belgian-y because it has that sort of unique mix of sweetness and funk to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I'm with you. That I think is very Belgian-y. And it is my favorite of the night. What? <laughs> but unfortunately, because we don't have 10 points. Increment. What? Oh, come on. on tab. I know. <laughs> Release I'm going to have to also give it a 375. So in my ratings, it looks like I enjoyed everything equally tonight. But just know, this rises above. All right. Can't just cheat and give the guy a four. I mean, for God's sake, Abigail, it's not like we can actually publish it. Can't you just say four? <laughs> No, I have integrity. Oh, sorry. Ouch. (laughs) This is Pops on Hops, where Where no no one is safe. Nobody's safe on Bob's I'm not a, I'm not a yes man. <laughs> Even the guests aren't safe. He's right here. He brewed the beer. You want to <laughs> say it's your favorite. It very much. You gave three beers of three, seven, five. This is your favorite tonight. And you just can't find it in your heart to eke it up to a four. There's no rating. You can't rate it. He's not on on tap. <laughs> Nothing's going to convince her. Teach you to raise a kid with integrity. <sighs> Although, Barry, I'm pretty sure she got that from Darby. So... <laughs> all right well before this degenerates into well it already has but i'm a little loopy (laughs) if i'm honest (laughs) i think we have one last order of business i'm so excited for this and that is the oh my god what's he got that's exactly what I said I would get, Dad. A D4 and a D10. Abigail, I you're play, calling I, out D&D it, dice. I really? play a D&D. Of course I play D&D. Wow. In my house, you know, D&D skipped a generation. So my kids play it and my father plays it. What? Yeah, really? What? For real? Of, of course he doesn't play it. <laughs> I just wanted to see Abigail's reaction. And it was priceless. Really confused for a second. All right. I was like, how did I never know this? So, Jaffo, you have a die there that looks like it has four. I do. Four-sided dice. Okay. So, I got four columns. Okay. Is that a two? two. So column two, I got it. It's column D. It's completely full. So I need a number from one through nine. As long as this doesn't come up zero, we're good. D9. 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 Is, oh my gosh. You did a good job. It's Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robot by the Flaming Lips. Oh, nice. Oh, I know who submitted that one. That was submitted by Paul Zawaki from a band called The Procession. Don't know if he's going to participate, Abigail. I would be shocked if he doesn't jump on and talk about the album with us. So, Jaffo, you may have committed Paul Zawaki from The Procession. A band we discussed and interviewed. To discuss Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robot with us. We're going to talk about the album, whether he's able to join us or not. Yeah. So, we're going to do that album in the next jukebox rotation. That may be all the orders of business. Business, right, Abigail? I think so. Unless, Jaffa, there's anything you want to plug. Is there anything else you need the world to know about? If anybody wants to go to at Mr. Shetler one on Twitter, I post all of my students stuff on there, all our cooking projects. And we have a garden, all our gardening projects and, and our unified basketball games. If anybody's interested in great special ed stuff, I'm Mr. Shetler one on Twitter. Feel free to like me. And uh, I love to show off the stuff my students are doing. We will definitely link that in in the show notes at mr shetler one pops on hops is following you in real time right now <laughs> i'm pretty sure that one's going to get me fired i i would love for people to come on because i'm always asking for donations as you guys know education is sorely underfunded and especially special education so yeah i'm always looking for ways to get more stuff for my students wow. you don't even live in florida do you know why i don't live in florida <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Let me, let me ask you a question. Do you know why I do? 
Uh, because you love your wife and she wanted to look. Uh, okay. You know what? You answered appropriately. You get extra points. <laughs> and so do I. Anyway, <laughs> I think that might be tonight's episode. Yes. If you need more Hops on Hops content, you can follow us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at Pops on Hops Pod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Or or you could visit our very cool website at popsonhopspod.com to see photos and videos and other bonus content related to our bi-weekly episodes or submit your own album to our virtual jukebox for a chance, much like Joffo did, to be featured on Pops on Hops. And on behalf of Hops and Pops and Joffo, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's clearly hops. Like, that's the only fl- Oh. Did we lose Java? Oh, yeah. boy. That's going to be an issue because. <laughs> it's going to be an issue. Well, when he comes on, it's going to be a I separate know. recording track that's going to be synced. Oh, no. Should I ping him on? I, I'm sure he knows. I bet his iPad died. Like, it was that sudden. How funny is it if we don't actually talk about the album ever? we got to talk about the album. <laughs>